Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And (laughs) I want to begin today by apologizing for the misleading title of this podcast. Now, it is true that you will be hearing from Terrence McKenna in this podcast today. For example, even though this talk was given over 25 years ago, he nonetheless does have a few things to say in this talk that are, well, they're still kind of pertinent right now. For example, he says, You know, our idea of nature is that it's all tooth and claw, survival of the fittest and the devil take the hindmost. The new version of evolution is entirely different. It says the way you attain survival is by making yourself indispensable to everybody else. So it's not by triumphing over the ecosystem, but by integrating yourself so thoroughly into it that it can't function without you. Then you're on your way to being a dominant uh, species, not by crushing the opposition. But Terence won't be talking about social distancing in this podcast. I'm going to talk about that. Of course, even that is kind of misleading because I'm going to talk about the opposite of social distancing, which today means forming digital communities and getting together online. And uh, in my world, uh, it's in ways other than through Facebook. Now, the reason I want to add my comments at the beginning of a Terrence McKenna talk is that if I put my comments in a standalone podcast, well, not nearly as many people will download it. <laughs> That's just the truth. But I think that you'll want this information because I'm now hosting four live salons every week and you and your friends are invited to join us. On top of that, with some help from other saloners, we now have a a 24-hour-a-day, 7-day-a-week chat room open just for the Psychedelic Salon. And uh, those are the two things that I want to tell you about before I play today's Terrence McKenna talk. First of all, if you've been with us here in the salon for a while... You already know that for the past two years, well, actually over two years now, I've been hosting a live salon on Zoom every Monday night. Until now, I've had to restrict these live events to my supporters on Patreon because, uh, well, not only are they the people who are paying all the bills for expenses associated with these podcasts, well, they're also providing a significant part of my rent. Now, two weeks ago on our Monday Night Live Salon, the participants asked if it would be okay to pass along these invites to their friends. And uh, that seemed like such a good idea that I found a way to open these salons up to a much wider audience. You see, when I first tried to do these live salons, I didn't yet know much about Zoom. And, well, the first one that I opened up to the public at large was a real disaster. (laughs) There were a bunch of young kids who thought that the word psychedelic meant that they could scream and curse and generally behave like morons. And uh, then there there was a woman who started taking off her clothes. Well, (laughs) needless to say, this event only lasted, uh, well, less than 10 minutes probably. So, for over two years now, I've limited the salons to the 400 or so fellow saloners who, on average, are chipping in $2.5 a piece each month, which, in my situation, adds up to the difference between podcasting and being a Walmart greeter. 
And uh, by the way, there have been over a hundred other saloners who have been able to help for a month or so. Uh, and then there are other financial obligations uh, prevailed, and they had to suspend their donations for a while. But having been in that situation before myself, I certainly understand, and I also remain eternally grateful for the help that they could provide. Now, in just a moment, I'll tell you how to find the login information for these salons because I change the link each day to prevent the chaos that open Zoom meetings can uh, sometimes be. But first, here's the schedule for these events. Every Monday and every Thursday, there will be two live salons each day. The first one is held at 6.30 p.m. London time. That's 6.30 at night London time. And right now, since London isn't on daylight savings time, the U.S. time for these uh, for the first salon on Monday is 11.30 a.m. Pacific time and 2.30 p.m. East Coast time. <laughs> and uh, those two same times are for Thursdays as well. Now, as I've been doing for the past couple of years, the day before a live salon, I send a personal email to all of my supporters on Patreon. But that isn't practical for these expanded live salon sessions. And uh, fortunately, and just in the nick of time, Nat, one of our fellow saloners, has launched a psychedelic salon server on Discord. Now, if you're a gamer, well, then you're probably already familiar with Discord, and you can sing its praises much better than me. The truth is, uh, I looked into Discord months ago, but I didn't really understand how useful it can be for the non-gaming world. And rather than tell you more about it, my suggestion is for you to simply join us and look around. While this free service allows private voice and chat video features, so far I'm only using the text mode and, and through it I've already learned about books and videos that I'd not known about before. For example, I didn't know that Terrence McKenna once published a limited edition book of only 75 copies, which he sold for $2,500 each. The book is titled Synesthesia, and it is beautifully illustrated by Thomas Eli in color. And thanks to fellow saloner and participant in the Salon's Discord family, you can now directly download a copy in PDF format from our Books channel on Discord. And this is also where I learned that Eric Davis's new book is now available in audio format. There's also a live stream channel where I learned about an Alex Gray live stream event that I was able to join. That channel, by the way, is also where you're going to find listings of the live stream events that are now being planned and hosted by psychedelic societies all around the country. The Psychedelic Salon Discord server is also where I post the login information for each week's live salons. There's a dedicated channel on our server for live salons, and that's where I'm going to be announcing the details you're going to need to log in. Also, in that space, I'll be letting you know when there will be featured guests who will be with us. For example, on the 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time, Monday Salon on April 6th, the filmmakers Niles Heckman and Rack Razam will be with us talking about their new film, which is the second episode in the Shamans of the Global Village series. This episode focuses on the peyote cactus, and uh, the cut that I've already seen, which is close to the final cut, is something I can recommend that you're going to want to see if you have any interest at all in indigenous culture and or in peyote. So, uh, how do you get an invite to the Salon's Discord server? Simple. Go to our main website at psychedelicsalon.com, 
And near the top of that home page, just before the podcast listing and videos, you'll see a link that says, Join our live conversations on Discord's Psychedelic Salon server. It's free. Simply click that link and you'll be taken to the sign-up page. I hope to see you there. Uh, In fact, I've already posted the login information there for tomorrow's two live salons. Well, that's enough from me for a while. Now it's time to listen to a few words of wisdom from the Bard McKenna. Initially, I intended to play the complete audio version of a Terrence McKenna talk that Dream Cloud Middlemen posted to our Discord server. Well, the talk is from a day-long workshop at Claremont College in Southern California addressing the Young Society of Greater Los Angeles, and uh, it took place sometime in 1991. But as I was getting ready to uh, post it for today, some of my friends told me that they are worried about their data limits getting high and asked for the next few podcasts to have smaller sizes. So uh, after I watched it online for myself, I realized that after an hour I was kind of burned out watching the video and turned it off just before the question and answer session. But later, after I listened to the Q&A session, I decided to just podcast that here today. And happily, at this workshop, all of the questions were written on little cards and not asked uh, by long-winded intros before they get to the question. And uh, this seemed to work really well. So now here is Terrence McKenna reading and answering questions that were on some of our minds back in 1991. Since DMT is present in the brain, does the introduction of excess DMT shut down the production of natural DMT in the way that the body stops producing opiates during opium usage? If so, what are the effects? Is DMT really so perfectly chemically benign? The first point to make is that Many of your questions cannot be answered because research into these areas is not allowed. So uh, often uh, we can't answer your question. This question, does the introduction of excess DMT uh, limit endogenous production? I can say with fair confidence that that's never been studied. My guess would be that it does not because... The DMT is, in no sense of the word, do you become habituated to DMT. I mean, a person who does DMT once a year is a fanatically heavy user, I would say. (laughs) And, uh, And the question, is DMT really so chemically benign? Again, this has not been studied the way you would study with rats and so forth to determine it. But experientially speaking, the amazing thing about DMT is the speed with which you return to normal. You return to the baseline of consciousness in under 10 minutes. Well, that tells you that the brain is very well able to deal with this compound. One way of judging how toxic a drug or a plant is, is to ask yourself the question, how long after I take it, do I feel completely normal? And with DMT, you feel completely normal 15 minutes after taking it. It's the shortest recovery time of any uh, drug. This question is concerning the bundle weed. While it does not directly meet the criteria of long-term use, is it to be considered safe? 
I'd say the way to answer that question is to do a chemical analysis of the bundle weed. If there's nothing present but DMT in it, I would think it should be considered safe. Now, there may be other compounds present. Uh, In South America, uh, it's possible to contrast two plants, uh, Psychotria viridis, which has almost entirely nothing in it except DMT as the portion of its alkaloid fraction, or Varola uh, Varola carthaginensis, which is uh, used in the making of snuff. And chemically, it's a mess. It looks like they swept the floor. You've got NNDMT, 5-MeO-DMT, alpha-methyltryptamine, monomethyltryptamine, 6-hydroxyomethyltryptamine. All of this, this you don't want. You want a a narrow, a surgical strike on the synapse is uh, what you're going for. Not splattering all kinds of junk all over the place. Uh, What is the best medium for psilocybin spore germination? Uh, Potato agar or what? Uh, The best medium is rye malt agar. No question about it. Go with rye. Organic rye malt extract. In today's climate, talk about access to shamanic pharmaceuticals for the average person. This is the where do I get it question. Dressed up in respectable terms. <laughs> well, uh, without being too self-serving, let me say my brother and I wrote a book on cultivating mushrooms called Psilocybin, the Magic Mushroom Grower's Guide by Otios and Owen Eric. I'm Otios, as you can see. And... Um, I really believe in growing mushrooms. Uh, If you are, as you sit here, not psychically strong enough or balanced enough to take psilocybin, then if you learn to grow it at the end of that process, you will be. Because growing the mushroom teaches you cleanliness, punctuality, attention to detail, uh, uh, steadiness, all of these virtues which are the very virtues you need to travel smoothly in that dimension. Other hallucinogens, other shamanic hallucinogens that you will find easily available to you without breaking any laws, uh, the heavenly blue morning glories sold in every seed store and garden store are not to be taken. Do not take them. They have been dipped in a fungicide that will make you sick. Grow them and collect your crop and take that. And uh, this is a major hallucinogen of, uh, of great antiquity, extremely visionary. Um, the Hawaiian wood rose, uh, you can obtain this from uh, uh, people who make dried flower arrangements, often have these. Uh, pay attention, you want the Hawaiian baby wood rose if they try to give you something called Hawaiian wood rose, a big clunky thing, that is inactive and, uh, and won't do it. Um, the detouras are freely available. I do not recommend them. I recommend against them, but they're a common landscaping plant in Southern California, and the jimson weed, of course, is growing out in the desert out around Lancaster and other places like that. Uh, 
there are a couple of companies which have very uh, forthrightly decided to sell plants with a history of shamanic involvement. I have owned no stock in these companies, so uh, I can recommend them without fear or favoritism. Uh, one is called Of the Jungle up in Sebastopol, California, and the other one is called Dream Gardens, and I think it's here in Santa Monica. These, both of these groups publish astonishingly complete catalogs of psychoactive and shamanically uh, important plants. Okay, that's access without going to the streets or committing crimes or anything like that. Can you tell us any more about Illinois bundleweed? I just did. Um, and that's really all I can tell you about it. All these questions are the same question. Having convinced us of the wonder of DMT, what would be the easiest and quickest way to obtain it? <laughs> How does one acquire DMT? <laughs> Comment about the Supreme Court ruling against the use of peyote by North American uh, Indians. Um, a very bad law, obviously. Law so bad that the National Council of Churches, the National Jewish Affairs Committee, and some very large Catholic organization all filed briefs protesting this thing. And I think that it was actually realized that it was a goof. And it will be brought back in the... It, you can't bring something back to the Supreme Court in a hurry because then that's unseemly. But I would bet that within five to ten years this will be overturned because a, a close reading of this law means that uh, wine for Pesach or communion could be construed as a psychoactive substance and uh, the whole thing it was just bad law, bad idea. Has consideration been given to the possibility that, in the case of certain plants which are recounted in writings, but the identity is unknown, that the reason they are unknown is because shamans purposefully kept their identity a secret. Perhaps such secrets are still being kept. This goes to this question I raised this morning, how can a powerful hallucinogen once discovered ever be lost? And I've only been able to figure out one scenario in which this could happen. It happens like this. Uh, people discover a wonderful plant that imparts visions or insight or something. And everybody takes it and enjoys it. And then slowly a hierarchy emerges, a professional class, priests, and only they, they decree that only they will be allowed to take it. And then they lord it over the rest of society with an iron hand. And then the rest of the society gets fed up with that. And there's a slave revolt and everybody in the ruling class is killed and the sacrament is lost. I can't figure out any other way that it could happen. And the Vedic thing this seems quite reasonable. Obviously, Soma was being more and more confined in its use to a single class, and then that class be became viewed as obnoxious, and its overthrow and the death of this sacrament then follow each other. Perhaps such secrets are still being kept. 
Uh, perhaps they are. I, the fact that this bundle weed could turn up at so late a date probably means that there are shamanic lineages with secrets that we don't know. As a, as a field ethnobotanist and an explorer, I'm always interested in the unconfirmable rumor, and there are some doozies. Uh, the mysterious beetle from eastern Brazil, which causes intense hallucinogens if eaten. Here's a career for somebody. No hallucinogenic insect has ever been found, and yet there are persistent rumors in different parts of the world of either a butterfly or a beetle that is uh, uh, hallucinogenic. Most shamans in the Amazon, if you spend five or six weeks with them and take ayahuasca with them and tromp around with them, when you finally get to know them, they will allow as how there is another magic, which they call the magic of the big trees. And I've spent half my life trying to find out the names of the big trees, and I'm still working on it. We have collectors in Peru, and nothing is more exciting than a clump of rootstock or a seed packet that comes across our desk labeled suspect hallucinogen. <laughs> that, that gets me to the edge of my chair. <laughs> what do you think of Robert Monroe, the journey out of the body man? Uh, well, this is a good uh, time to discuss what do I think of all these other things on the spiritual market. Uh, I don't know what to think about them. I'm not a spiritual consumer. Uh, I've never been to a workshop that wasn't my own unless it was free. And uh, there's a lot of stuff out there, you know, astral traveling, channeling, all of this stuff. And I tend to either believe it's bogus, or it's for people with a psychic constitution considerably different from my own. Uh, sometimes people say to me, well, these states that you're talking about, can't they be achieved without drugs? Well, the answer to that is, my God, who would want to? <laughs> what, what would be proved by achieving these things without drugs? If the things I'm talking about began to happen to me without drugs, I would be very, very concerned and alarmed. <laughs> because, uh, you know, I, I, I just don't... Uh, and also, I, I think there's something to be said for admitting that we cannot do it alone. That if you want this spiritual insight, if you want the Gaian matrix to welcome you, then humble yourself to the point of making a deal with a plant. That's the key. You can't enter the bank without the key to the bank. The key to the bank is a plant. Jumping up and down outside the bank and exhorting the banker to recognize your inner worth and open the door is just not, uh, not going to do it. I can understand that psychoactive alkaloids are a survival mechanism for the plants. Why is that effect psychoactive in man or perhaps animal? Um, well, first of all, maybe we have to argue with your premise. You're right that a lot of these so-called secondary and tertiary compounds are elaborated supposedly 
to make things taste bad so that birds will spit out things and stuff like that. Uh, but on the other hand, they've studied this question fairly closely, and a lot of these alkaloids are produced specifically to attract animals, to bring them in to nectaries and as pollinators and that sort of thing. Uh, Old-style botany always believes these compounds are what's called tertiary to metabolism, meaning they're kind of like waste products and not very important garbage. But when you look carefully at a psychoactive plant, invariably what you see is that the psychoactive chemistry is going on where metabolism is most active. This is an indication that actually these things aren't tertiary at all. They are doing something for the plant, but we don't know what it is. As to why they have this peculiar effect that they do in us, uh, I think that's because there was anciently, and over the evolutionary life of human beings, actually a connection between us and nature and uh, that these, these drugs are the antenna, the switches that switch us back toward the logos of, uh, of the natural world. I suspect that all of nature is a seamless web of pheromonally mediated connections and interactions and that we are just not yet at a sufficient level of analysis and sophisticated observation to see this interconnected web. You know, our idea of nature is that it's all tooth and claw, survival of the fittest and the devil take the hindmost. The new version of evolution is entirely different. It says the way you attain survival is by making yourself indispensable to everybody else. So it's not by triumphing over the ecosystem, but by integrating yourself so thoroughly into it that it can't function without you, then you're on your way to being a dominant uh, species, not by crushing the opposition. Uh, let's see how we're doing here. What are deconstructionists doing to our understanding of the language? Is it helpful? <laughs> hmm... <laughs> By deconstructionists, I suppose uh, you mean uh, Jacques Derrida and uh, that crowd. Well, I think deconstruction serves a very useful function. I think we are unaware of, uh, of what, how thoroughly language is the medium in which we swim, how thoroughly our world is built of language. In a way, the boundary-dissolving character of the plant hallucinogens is a dissolving of language barriers. They show you that the surface of reality was not the surface of reality, it was the surface of your local language. And now it's gone, and, uh, and here is uh, what lies beneath it. At what point in the evolution of organic matter on Earth do psychoactive plants appear and why? Interesting question. If we're talking about psychoactive fungi, we're severely limited by the fossil record because no fossil mushroom has ever been found older than 40 million years. This is because fossil mushrooms are very soft-bodied, ephemeral. 
kind of things. As primary decomposers, which is what fungi are doing on this earth, it's reasonable to assume that they must have been here from the very beginning of the conquest uh, of the land. But proof in the fossil record has not been forthcoming. Now, if we're talking about higher plants, flowering plants, which is mostly what we're talking about here, then no flowering plants existed before 65 million years ago. Flowering plants emerged out of the same catastrophe that destroyed the dinosaurs and set the stage for the emergence of the mammals. This is something people don't realize. Flowering plants are as recent as mammals. You know, if you look at the, if the period of life on Earth is visualized as a yardstick, the period of the flowering plants is the last inch and a half. And it's also the, the rise of the mammals occurs in that last inch and a half. So before that, the plant life on the Earth was of a very uh, different sort, and we know nothing about its chemistry. Here's someone who asked a Zen question. <laughs> what would make the present government interested in the study of psychedelics? <laughs> I don't know. If they could make a buck out of it? Uh, I, I don't think they're very interested in psychedelics. I don't think any political... What? CIA, they were very interested in psychedelics. Except that they abandoned it. Yes, MKUltra, for those of you who don't know, stands for mind control, spelled the southern way. Mind control ultra was a program the CIA pursued in the 1960s where they tried out all kinds of psychedelic drugs and they also worked with it in combination with hypnosis. They were trying to make what they called the Trojan horse this was somebody who would be an assassin but not even know it. And uh, how far they got with all of this, we will never know because, of course, it all disappears behind the walls of secrecy. But the declassified history of the CIA and LSD is very interesting. Some of you may know the book Acid Dreams by, uh, by uh, Martin Lee. Uh, fascinating history of the way the government tried and really failed, I think, to use psychedelics. The, the government's initial approach to LSD was, uh, this is great, this is a truth serum. We can give this to enemy agents and they'll tell us all we know. Well, a few months of following that path, they decided... No, <laughs> this is an obscurity drug. We can give this to our agents and they can take it if they're captured and no one can learn anything from them. <laughs> and, you know, clearly this was not a fruitful path either. And I, I really, I don't fault the government, I don't really fault the government for this. After all, the government is in the business of being the government. I don't think any institution can inculcate psychedelics into its own program because psychedelics destroy institutions, all institutions. I mean, it's like trying to move an acid around that corrodes whatever pipes you pour it through. And uh, because the boundary-dissolving quality of psychedelics 
is precisely the quality that government is involved in resisting. Government builds up labels, hands out role models, explains how everything is, and this stuff just then melts that back into a primal chaos. So it's pretty corrosive of any social values that don't arise spontaneously out of biological organization. It's anarchist. It's the acid of anarchy in a way. All right, we're never going to get through this list, but it's gratifying to know it's here if we need it. <laughs> here's, a th- here's a question about the time wave, which I'm going to skip because we're not talking about the time wave today, and pity the poor soul who's never heard of it. <laughs> know of any herbal sources to raise serotonin as a treatment for depression? Uh, no, I'm not, uh, I don't uh, know a lot about herbal medicine and that sort of thing, but uh, raising serotonin level as a treatment for depression seems like a pretty good strategy. Uh, I don't know of herbs. Usually inhibition of serotonin is what's going on. And with these psychedelics, they do compete with serotonin for the bond site. That's what, the, that's what it's all about at the atomic level is in your synaptic cleft, in the synaptic clefts of your neurons, there are uh, what are called receptors. And if you were to fly down and look at these things, they look like complex locks. They're hooks, protuberances, little drawers, and fit in places. Well, then the drug molecule comes is carried into the synaptic cleft by the bloodstream, and it seeks to what's called occupy the bond site or simply bond and it's trying to fit in well the normal thing which fits in those bonding sites is serotonin but some of these hallucinogens are much better fits than natural serotonin they are what pharmacologists say competitive at the bond site and so they literally elbow the the serotonin out of the way and then they fit themselves into the receptor well once the receptor and its uh, its fit its agonist are in place then the biodynamic the bioelectric uh, field of the synapse can be activated well if you swap out serotonin for an exotic molecule like uh, harmine or mescaline or something like that, well then this shifts the mode of this uh, molecular level electrical environment. And I believe that that is what then registers as a higher cortical experience that we call the trip. It's the experience of hundreds of millions of these introduced molecules displacing the normal serotonin and then broadcasting this signal in a slightly different way than it is normally uh, perceived. So there's a molecular connection. There's a connection down into the molecular level. This will be our last one this morning. Language transcendence. Huxley, Jung, and others often mention liberating and enlightening 
liberating and enlightening epiphanies as beyond language and iconic imagery. You yourself mentioned this. Can you explain further the use of transcendental language? Yeah, and we might talk about that a little this afternoon. Um, I sort of alluded to it this morning. My idea is that language is a process that is half completed in us as we sit here and that language is really something which wants to be seen, not heard, but that we are on our way to evolving toward this visible language and we currently are operating with these somewhat substandard acoustical codes and I think in a way history is the process of getting out revealing, defining, refining uh, this natural language. The place where the psychedelics impact upon us as social creatures is the language domain. I mean, you may have tremendous hierophanies and breakthroughs, but if you can't talk about it, or paint about it, or dance about it, or in any way communicate it to anybody, then it is not efficacious for the species. It's just your uh, private entertainment. So the domain of language is where the collective impact is coming. And one of the things I think about psychedelics is that they are probably capable of helping us force the evolution of language. Because we cannot move into the future any faster than our uh, language of description for the future. So if we're interested in streamlining culture and getting away from this sort of random walk style of cultural evolution, then we have to look at rationally uh, interfacing with the evolution of language. And maybe we can talk about that uh, when we come back. Thanks very much. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. Do you think that back in 1991, Terence McKenna was already having a premonition that the day would soon arrive when the whole world would be on pause, causing us all to begin thinking about ways in which to maybe streamline our new culture? Well, since this talk was given over 25 years ago, there's been some changes in uh, some of the positions Terence had. For example, I've seen some reports of microscopic fossilized fungus, and uh, there are also several revealing and really well-documented books about MKUltra. Among some of the other references that uh, Terence made in this talk that can be brought up to date today. However, since you may have a little more time on your hands uh, right now, I'm going to let you research that on your own. Uh, who knows what interesting side trails those searches may take you on. And let me say also that I am well aware that some of our fellow saloners don't have any extra time right now. They are the healthcare workers, law enforcement and military, delivery and warehouse people, and everyone else who are the essential workers who are going to be keeping us safe in the weeks and months ahead. I love you all and deeply appreciate the sacrifices that you're making for all of us. And for now, this is Lorenzo, but I'm not going to be signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Instead, I'm going to simply refocus my Cyberdelic attention to the Psychedelic Salon server on Discord.com. Namaste, my friends. <laughs>